Hey folks, we'll get to the show in just a second, but first I wanted to tell you about something special that we here at Relay FM are doing in September. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month, and we are raising money to help support the kids of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. St. Jude is amazing. Families never receive a bill for anything. Each year, between 180,000 and 240,000 children are diagnosed with cancer worldwide. St. Jude flies them in to receive treatment. They do research and share it with other institutions. They're committed to helping cure childhood cancer and making sure that no child dies from cancer in the future. You can help support this mission. All you need to do is go to stjude.org originality. Donate some money and help end childhood cancer. Again, that's stjude.org slash originality and donate now. Our original goal was to reach $75,000. That's been blown out of the water. Our new goal is $175,000, but I'll tell you secretly, I think maybe we can even get more than that. So go, if you can, donate today. Every little bit helps. We've talked about it on originality before. If you can give a dollar or two dollars, that's going to help a family. It's going to pay for a snack for a child undergoing chemotherapy. It's amazing. Thank you so much. Now on to the show. Welcome to Originality, the podcast where we talk about and explore the roots of creativity and creative genius. I am one of your hosts, Aline Sims, and today, surprisingly, I am joined by Kay Tempest Bradford, special guest extraordinaire. (laughs) I'm so glad you could join us today, Tempest. How are you? (laughs) I'm fine. It's hot. It is summertime. Pacific Northwest with no air conditioning in the summer is yeah because not the best. you didn't used to need air conditioning in the Pacific Northwest. Thank you, global climate change. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> it's uh, I'm lucky because we have our building was built with um, a vent hole in it, so we could hook up a tube to take the hot air out so we could bring in a unit. I'm so bad at this. Anyway, so our building is now providing an air conditioner for our apartment, um, which is great. It's more than a lot of people get here, but our apartment is also a shoebox, and so there's no way for the air to circulate anywhere. And so it's like we have this intricate system of like, okay, here's the air conditioner, and, you know, it can only go so far because it's got to vent outside. And here are all of the fans to move the air throughout the apartment. But it's only a few months. Exciting times here in inside of the apocalypse. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> yep. So let's record a podcast. Woohoo! <laughs> it's time for the podcast. Excitement. So I wanted I wanted to talk today about something that I've been hearing come up a lot lately. Part of this is because I've been binging other podcasts and I've been hearing people talk a lot about failure. And you and I have talked about failure kind of in the context of other conversations, but we haven't actually had 
a discussion about our thoughts and feelings and perspective on what failure is. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Yeah. Um, so I feel like what I hear a lot of the time, I hear fail used a lot in a lot of contexts. And I don't agree with the way people use it a lot of the time. How so? So I think this comes from a person who is trying to be a reformed perfectionist. Ah. <laughs> so um, one of kind of the Aline hallmarks is like this f- feeling that I have to do everything perfectly all the time. And I've talked about this in a lot of places. I, I think I've probably mentioned it here. Um, I've definitely mentioned it um, on other podcasts I've done. I've blogged about it. Like perfection is like this uh, this thing that I always want to have, right? So when I started Less Than or Equal, the podcast that I did before Originality with you, I was like, oh, my audio is going to be perfect right out the gate. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I'm going to invest in equipment. We had some equipment and it's going to be great. And this is the level that my audio is going to be at for the rest of time. Wow. I, I recognize these sentiments. <laughs> um, hmm. I wonder, wonder how, I, how I understand exactly what you mean. <laughs> and I feel like I feel like this is a lot of us, right? That we're like, I'm just going to do it. I'm going to do it the one time. I'm going to spend money on a solution or, you know, whatever. And I'm going to put in a really good effort. And that effort is going to give me this beautiful, perfect thing. Um. You want to guess how often that actually comes I'm, to pass? I'm going to say that, like, it's probably, like, there was probably one really perfect moment once. <laughs> and then after that, it was just like, wait a minute, how come nothing else has, has come up to the level of this one perfect moment? The, yeah. Again, I don't, ask me how I <laughs> <Maybe>. know. <laughs> so, yeah. so, Tempest, can you relate to any of this? <laughs> oh, maybe a little bit. <laughs> A little bit, yeah, because, like, when I first started podcasting, a lot of it was, like, really, like, a a chase for me to try to figure out how to make my audio sound better, especially since my first podcast that I was, like, regularly on was uh, the one where we met called The Gemcast, and you had fancy audio equipment, and Alex had fancy audio equipment, and I had, like, some microphone that came out of the closet or something. <laughs> um, and, and before that, like, I, I did, um, I had a very fancy blue microphone. I had the Yeti for uh, a while, but then I believe that we started doing our podcast after I had already started being nomadic. It was, and so yeah. I, yeah, so I actually gave the Yeti away because I was like, I'm not taking this big thing around with me everywhere. That thing is huge and phallic and huge and heavy. Um, it weighs like 700 pounds. Uh, right, the Yetis right. are so, so I was like, I don't, I don't need this. But um, before that, I, and I'd only had the Yeti because I had reviewed it actually when I was a, a tech journalist. And so it was one of the things that I had that, you know, had come to me as a review unit and they never needed it back. So previously I had recorded stuff for podcasts. Um, 
there's a really wonderful uh, series of podcasts. Uh, it's called um, the Escape Artist Podcast. So it's Escape Pod, Pseudopod, and oh, what is the fantasy one called? Why can I not remember? This is terrible. Anyway, Escape Pod, Pseudopod, and Podcastle. And those are all uh, like short story, audiobook type of uh, those podcasts. And so one is fantasy, one is horror, one is science fiction. And they asked me to record uh, an audio for a story that I had effused about on Twitter. So they knew that I loved the story. And so I did my very best and I built a blanket fort and I was inside of the blanket fort with my Yeti microphone trying to like sound exactly like NPR. And it worked that time. It worked that time. That audio is quite nice. Uh, never quite got there again <laughs> with any of my other solutions. And um, I don't know if Aline ever like saw a picture of this, but like for a long time, I carried around like one of those sort of foldable cubes, the, um, the kind that like people use to like put in drawers or whatever in their Ikea drawers. Um, I carried around one of those cubes and I had foam that fit into the cubes and I put the microphone inside of the foam cube thing and I spoke into the box and it was, it, it was ridiculous, but the audio sounded pretty good. And I was like, yeah, this is it. This is the pinnacle. But then I was like, nobody gives a crap. <laughs> Nobody gave a crap money of that. They just really wanted to like hear what we had to say. And that was the thing that I, I eventually came to realize was that it was more about the content than it was the audio quality. Um, I mean, obviously you want good enough audio quality that people can hear you and there's not a lot of crap going on in the background or whatever. But like once you reach that baseline of quality, anything above that, like it's nice, but it's not necessary. But having to realize that it took me a while. So yeah, I can relate. <laughs> I remember bit. you talking about the box. Like you were like, I've got to sit on the floor so I can talk into my box. And I was like, <laughs> right. It was like finding uh, ways to like get the box at the right level. So I could just put my head right in it. And then it was really hot. And it's, ah, <laughs> yeah. 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 And, and so I think that, I think that there actually, there are two things Three things. We'll see. We'll see how many things. But there are like there are so many things to unwrap here because my podcast was not a failure by any um, objective standard. Like less than or equal nope. was a successful podcast. It was never huge. You know, like a lot of people think about podcasting and they're like, I'm going to have an audience of. I don't know, 20 million people. And, <laughs> you know, it, it was, it was never that big. It was never even on the Relay FM network, which originality is on. It was maybe the smallest show on the network. Um, and so, you know, it, but, but even having all of that, like I had more than one listener, you know, like many thousands, several thousand people listened to this, downloaded it. Um, people still talk about it and tweet about the show, right? And so the the measure of success, I think maybe point one is success isn't always the thing that we focus on, right? Less than or equal success was not about how good my audio was. Or, you know, what equipment I upgraded to or anything like that, less than or equal success was about 
the impact, right? And ultimately, that's what I wanted it to be. I wanted it to be a show with impact. But I don't know. I think sometimes we get wrapped up in what are the metrics of success? And if we don't hit those things, then feel like we have failed at a thing. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So um, missing deadlines is a thing that I've been doing a lot lately. Um, and internally in post deadlines, I'm not missing deadlines for other people, but just things that I'm like, I'm going to get this done by this day. And then I don't do it. Um, and ultimately for this specific purpose or these things that I'm doing, the deadline doesn't really matter. The thing that matters is making the thing I'm trying to make and eventually getting it out into the world. Right. So I guess my question is, you know, I can, I can choose to think, and this is really easy for me to pick apart because it's something that I've thought a lot about. So I could choose to think I'm a failure. I've missed like every deadline I've set for myself lately, or I can choose to think, okay, um, apparently one, I'm not internally deadline driven for clients. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like I will, I will move heaven and earth to meet a, a deadline for a client, but something I'm doing for myself, eh, you know, it doesn't matter so much to me. So I need other metrics. I need other things to think about when I'm, when I'm doing things. Yeah. And also, I don't remember. Well, I could talk about a thing. I also really love the idea of looking at how failures um, I guess can help a creative process because there are, you know, there are a lot of stories in different uh, artistic mediums about failures that led to something really wonderful. And of course, like the first thing that springs to mind is thinking about Bob Ross and his happy little accidents. And let me tell you how much I love Bob Ross, not just as like some dude who's painting and be like saying things in a nice, calm voice. But yes, that's that's always nice. But also um, I and actually I I learned this from another author. Her name is Alexander Aaron. And she wrote a Tumblr post uh, a few years back where she was like, if you want to learn about writing go and watch Bob Ross and watch how he like starts with this blank canvas. And he's just like, I'm just going to put some color here. And he puts it color. And like, he's like, here's, we're going to do this. And this is going to be a mountain. And one of my happy little trees, you know, everybody loves a happy little tree. Right. But you know, you can watch Bob Ross make art out of dabs of color on a canvas. Like, and, and you're watching him do it. Like, he's not like magically like going off somewhere and coming back and saying like, see, it's done. Um, you know, on like a cooking show where like, <laughs> you don't actually see things being made. But, um, but also just like the approach that he takes. He's like, oops, I did something wrong over here. Well, I guess we're just doing something different with this. And, you know, I had an idea that I was going to do this, but instead we're doing this other thing and that's okay too. And yeah, it's just like, it's, it's a really good way to like look at your own art whether that art is a visual art or writing or whatever it is because just like his attitude towards the act of creation is so wonderful and inspiring um and sometimes it is a result of quote failures in which like he has failed to put his exact vision on the canvas and yet somehow he still makes something that looks amazing um i think about that a lot especially when in my writing which i feel like Sometimes I 
I feel like it's full of failures. And then people come along and they're like, this is great. And I'm like, oh, I guess it's not that much of a failure. But um, just thinking about the times when, for instance, I'm like really struggling to move forward in a piece. And I'm like, ah, what's wrong with me? Like, why can't I just go? And then I realize that I have made a mistake previously to where I'm at at the moment. And that mistake has subconsciously like put a rope around me and kept me from going forward. And I just have to figure out the mistake. Um, I'm pretty sure I talked about this, uh, not to me episodes ago about how my entire novel fell apart (laughs) and, uh, and I had to restructure or whatever. And I could take that as a failure, but really it's, it's just that I needed to understand how things weren't working in order to figure out how they are working. And I have discovered that at least for the time being, because it seems to change a lot, uh, my method, but, um, for the time being, like being a, a plotter instead of a pantser, cause I was only ever like really sort of a pantser. Um, but, but sitting down and like creating a detailed outline before I start writing has actually served me really well in the project that I'm working on now. I put my, my Egypt project on a small hiatus while I like try to finish this other project. And with the new project, I wrote out an outline. And I learned that because of that moment when I was like, crap, my whole like novel fell apart and I needed to put it back together. And so I created an, an outline for that. And so taking that skill that I learned from the Egypt project, applying it to this new project has meant that this new project has like come out like butter, um, which I'm just like, this is great. Why couldn't I have done this before? But that's all right. <laughs> this is what failure is for. It's to teach us how to do things better. Um, and there's just, there are always stories like that where you're like, I did a thing and I didn't do it well, but, but me not doing it well taught me how to do it better. Um, and, and that just, sometimes it's just how it has to be. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back for just a second. You mentioned plotters versus pantsers. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about this in previous episodes. And it's basically just like jargon for the way you go about writing your novel. So if you do it by the seat of your pants, pantsers, <laughs> or if you're more meticulous um, and uh, outlining like Tempest did this time. Um, you're more of a plotter or I've, I've gardener is another. Yeah. Like it's, it's, um, architect is also a, uh, another sort of framework for, for being a plotter. You're an architect or you're a gardener. That's what they, that's the nicer term for people who, uh, might call themselves pantsers. Um, and, and honestly, a lot of writers actually work not necessarily at one extreme or another, like, you know, before I did the thing where I like literally sat down and plot out everything, I did have a a rough outline of what I wanted to do. I had a broader outline that I knew that like, there were some like beats I wanted to hit or whatever, but I wasn't really going through and working out all the different specific beats and characterizations. Every time I was like allowing that to happen in, in the writing of it. Um, and, you know, sometimes that works out really well for me and sometimes it doesn't. 
but I'm starting to understand how, especially when I'm dealing with bigger things, not trying to keep everything in my head, but putting it outside of my head is, is useful. Um, and so then like I, that moved me more towards the, the architect side of things, but I'm also still not like a 100% strict architect. Just the other day I wrote a whole chapter that was not in the outline. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I don't know where this chapter came from, but it seems like <laughs> this is a good place to put it. And it doesn't mess with anything else in the outline. It's just like I needed something else there than I had previously conceived. And I was like, well, that's just what we're doing. Another thing that you brought up is uh, failures, learning opportunities, basically. And that's really, that is the heart of where my thinking is now as opposed to where it used to be which was this is I'm, I'm going to do it and it's going to be perfect and then I never have to think about it again because it's going to be done right mm-hmm. is that um it's only taken me you know over 35 years but um, you know there I I don't like thinking of failure as failure mm-hmm. I think of what a lot of people call failure as learning opportunities or experimentation or whatever. Now that's not to say say that failure doesn't exist. Failure very definitely does exist. But I think a lot of the things that um, we as, yes, as creative people, but also just like people who maybe don't consider themselves creative and just like trying to get a lot of things done. um, I think we put so much pressure on ourselves to do things exactly the way that they need to be done so my day needs to go like you know I need to hit hit these notes one two three four and if I didn't do that then it was I failed at the day um but often the consequence of you not hitting the one two three four like you need to or you feel like you need to the consequences like maybe things are a little off kilter but like the world doesn't end you don't you know nobody there's no catastrophic um consequence to it it's just you've learned some things that you need to do differently tomorrow or next week or whatever Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's helpful to everybody, but it's really helpful. Like, it's just because I put so much pressure on myself, I don't really put pressure on other people. I don't have, I do have high expectations. I take that back. But like, I don't, I don't have the expectations for other people that I have for myself. And so um, just, just thinking about things like, oh, um, I'm really struggling with this. I didn't hit my deadline. Why didn't I hit my deadline? Like, mm-hmm. instead of just being like, I hit my deadline, I'm I'm awful. Nothing's ever going to go right. I'm never going to get done. Um, I mean, I did some of that, but it wasn't because I didn't hit my deadline. But then it just gives me the freedom to be like, okay, this wasn't a failure. There, Like, there's no catastrophic consequence to this. Uh, but things could have gone more smoothly or differently. Let me step back and think about that. So just reframing from fail to experience has really, really helped me take a lot of stress out of my life and given me the freedom to, um, like the permission to think about things more 
rationally as opposed to coming from a really feeling place about all of them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Um, and so I guess that's what I've been hearing. I've been hearing on a lot of the podcasts I've been listening to lately. And um, because I, I, I found what I really like to do is binge listen to podcasts. So I've been listening to, you know, like a dozen episodes of the show because I just wait for three or four months and then I listen to them all at once. But I'm hearing, this is what I'm hearing from people. Like I didn't do like the Bob Ross thing, you know, like, oh, I accidentally put a blob of paint in the wrong spot. Well, now we've got to, we've got to like stop the cameras. We've got to reset the canvas. We've got to like, we've got to do this all over again. Um, And instead taking that, you know, it wouldn't have been the same show. And I don't think it would have lasted as long as it did if people, if he had been like that, if he had been like, oh no, like we're going to do the same painting until it comes out the way I want it to exactly. And instead being like, oh wait, this was a learning opportunity. Okay. So let's, let's think about this blob and what we can do with it instead of like panicking about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think Bob Ross is probably the calmest person on television this side of Mr. Rogers. His Wikipedia page is also like super interesting. Hmm. Just like, I don't know, he was an interesting guy. But um, I guess, I mean, that's really the heart of what I wanted to talk about is like, I don't know, why do we put so much pressure on ourselves? Uh, because our culture is full of pressures. <laughs> Um, and there's way too much societal nonsense about being perfect and not failing. Um, and, and it's weird because in, in some ways, like failing actually can be a super useful way to just like desensitize yourself to feeling like, oh crap, I made a mistake and and things are horrible. Um, I, I've been thinking a lot lately, especially because I've been playing a lot of mobile games and thinking about the trajectory of the way that mobile games work now, as opposed to when smartphone, I know, right. Uh, As opposed to when smartphones were new or when, you know, casual gaming was actually done on a computer as opposed to your phone. So one of the things I really loved about the original Angry Birds game was that you could play a level over and over and over and over again until you got it right. And sometimes, depending on like, you know, which chapter you were in, um, the the higher you got in the levels, um, sometimes you literally had to fail a level in order to even begin to understand how you could defeat it. And when you fail a level, it was just like, oh, try again. And it was great. And and I remember like at the time when I first started playing Angry Birds, like saying like, oh, this is so cool because this can be a really good learning tool to teach kids that like failure isn't bad. It just means that like, oh, I have to figure out how to do this. And so let me try again and again and again. Now, and, and you know, since the original Angry Birds, we've had many other iterations of Angry Birds. We've had Angry Birds Rio and Angry Birds Star Wars and well, all that nonsense. And then we had Angry Birds 2 which angered me on so many levels. Angry Tempests. Angry Tempests um, because of the way that they introduced mobile game mechanics that, like, that clearly had come into play after mobile games became popular, right? Because like, Angry Birds was one of the first like, really super popular mobile games, right? Um, and, but then game makers were like, well, 
We can't have people like sitting up here only giving us a dollar. We need them to give us all this kind of money and la la la. And so Angry Birds 2 introduced things like if you fail to level, you lose the heart. And then to get the hearts back, you had to wait or you could pay money or watch an ad to get those hearts back if you use up all your hearts. And that's already annoying. Um, the in-game purchasing, uh, just, oh my God. And then even worse than that is the fact that if you fail at a level of Angry Birds 2, the pigs literally laugh at you and it plays this really horrible sound and it's very demoralizing. And I'm like, oh, shut up, you jerks. And I was like, why, when did it become not okay to fail because you know some of many of those levels you had to lose six seven times in order to understand how they worked and this is even more annoying um each level had multiple different configurations so you had to like figure out all the different configurations somehow just, uh, anyway i can go on and on but um also recently i started playing a game called diner dash adventures and I love the Diner Dash games when they were on the computer many years ago, like when I was at college and stuff. And, you know, the way that it worked on the computer is like you could just play it however many times it took so you could get all your three stars and then you had all the stars and you could do whatever. Right. And now it's once again, it's like in-app purchases and you and, and now you don't even like lose a heart when you fail at a level, every level requires like supplies and the supplies take forever to like re uh, spawn. And I'm just like, who, like what asshole, <laughs> what asshole made these changes to this game? Yep. You know, it's just, it like makes me angry on every level. And, and once again, like there's no, I mean, it's, it's definitely not as harsh when you, when you don't get all your stars uh, in Dire Dashes is in Angry Birds 2, but it's still a problem because, yeah, it's like there's no, there's no way to, like, figure out how things work by failing at it a couple times. I mean, like, oh, okay, this is the way to do it. Because quite honestly, the reason why you failed that level is because you haven't spent enough money yet. Yep. Ugh, so anger-making. But, but yeah, so it's, it's weird because... I feel like this is a thing that is just generally a problem in our culture um, and not just in mobile gaming um, <laughs> and not just in greedy companies looking to grab up all the money um, where it's, it's not valued the, the thing where you fail at something so that you can learn it and figure it out. Um, and people are really scared of failure. Like this is one of the, Number one things that I get asked by people who want to write outside of their um, identities uh, that, you know, we teach about this right and the other. And they're like, but what if I get it wrong? And they, you know, have a freak out. And I'm like, well, if you get it wrong, you apologize. You say, oh, I got it wrong. I didn't mean to get it wrong. It wasn't my intention to be horrible. Let me make sure that I learn more and do it right next time. But that concept... Like the number of times where I have to tell people that that is the, the way to do it. And I'm like, it's okay to fail. And it's okay to like sometimes get yelled at. But people are primed, I think, by our culture to fear any kind of failure whatsoever because punishment follows. I don't think social media has helped with that either. You know, because then you get the, like, if just the 
right or wrong, kind of depending upon what happens, person notices a mistake, then it can quickly go from, um, I don't know, it it escalates quickly, you know, like yeah. You can go from a couple of people being like, hey, maybe you should reconsider the way you phrased that to like an entire mob of people piling on you and making assumptions about who you are. And, you know, it's like, okay, so one tweet um, that I fired off that hurt somebody um, and I've done this like I've I've made tweets that people have been like, hey. Um, this hurts me for these reasons. And then I've been able to be like, oh, crap, you know, I'm, I'm really sorry. That's, you know, this is what I was trying to say. Um, I'm sorry I didn't do that well enough. Or, oh, crap, I've learned something from this experience. But um, it's really hard to do that when you have a thousand people being like, oh, well, you're clearly trash because you mm-hmm. you made that mistake. Um, and that, yeah, that 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 also makes it really, really difficult. But in those situations, it's also like, well, what is the alternative? The alternative is like, you keep doing the same stuff that you've been doing forever. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I, I feel that it is always important to point out to people when they do things that are harmful. Um, and when they have failed, especially in ways that impact other people, all of that is really important. Um, I also think that it's important to recognize that the pointing out of that failure shouldn't necessarily be about the, I don't even want to say shaming, but it it should be more about trying to figure out ways to make sure that that kind of thing doesn't happen again, Mm -hmm. um, rather than personally punishing a person. But at the same time, if a person is engaging in such things and has engaged in such things multiple times and has been asked multiple times and they're still just engaging in the things. That's when I think it's time to be like, you know, you need to go, (laughs) you need to go sit somewhere else. Um, but, but everybody's going to have a first time where they do something that's like, Oh no, that's not okay. Oh, Oh. And, and there has to, I think be a path for people who make mistakes where it's their first time making that mistake and and it's one that that they can they can do something about uh and that they can learn from versus when you are like this is the 15th time I have seen you do this crap like it's you no longer get the benefit of the doubt yep i i super duper feel that it's very important to make those distinctions but i feel like sometimes with social media at least those distinctions aren't always made. Yeah, they're not. And that's and that's where there there tend to be more problems. So it's less about like, you know, people, you know, calling out and and more about like let's let's look at who's getting called out and why and in what manner and what is the history and and all that. It's very nuanced. It is. Um I think that that maybe you've stumbled across um articulating part of a distinction that I think I've been trying to make, which is, I think the difference between a mistake and failure Mm -hmm. and the difference between a mistake and a learning experience and failure. Like I I feel like these are different categories and that there's, um, there's nuance to those that Mm -hmm. 
that we don't often make that we're just like, oh, well, all of these things, these are clearly just all this one big ball of fail. And mm-hmm. that's not necessarily true. Yeah. That is not true. No necessarily about it. It's, it's just not true. Yeah. So, so in the case of like social media, if you make a misstep, if you make a mistake and people are calling you out for it, and I know we've talked about this before, um, apologize, explain like, not just like, oh, I'm sorry, but like, I am sorry for this mischaracterization of chronically ill people. I'll, I'll say that since I'm a chronically ill person, I can, um, I've learned that chronically ill people are not lazy. (laughs) I will not make Mm -hmm. that mistake again. And then you go about your life and you don't make that mistake again. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. what are, so, so like, that's one thing. And then if, if you get the internet mob, I'm, I'm very sorry. That really sucks. But just like step away from social media, love your life. Yeah. You know, come back when you can, you know, um, but what are some other strategies that um, you can think of that we can employ for when we kind of get stuck feeling like, I don't know, like I have so often lately, like, all right, writing is awful. I don't know why I'm writing. I'm bad at it. Everything is bad. Let's burn the world to the ground. You know, like when you're stuck <laughs> in those in those moments where you f- feel like you're failing, whatever that is. It doesn't have to be writing. That's just where I've been lately. Um, you're, you feel like you're failing. How, how can you step back and evaluate and decide whether you're failing or not? Because like I said, sometimes you are actually failing, Mm -hmm. but probably less often than it feels like. Yeah, probably. I mean, I, I wish I had the answer (laughs) to this this very important question. <laughs> I mean, uh, the only things that I have found that work for me is getting um, people who are not me to help. Um, this is actually so funny. It came up in my Facebook memory. So I don't like Facebook. I don't go on Facebook, except I do look at my Facebook memories every day, my on this day because I'm a funny person and I enjoy seeing my hilarious funniness from years ago, from 10 years ago. Oh God, I've been on Facebook too long. But um, (laughs) a a few days ago, one of the things that came up was that I had just finished getting a critique from a novel workshop. And and I was like, I survived. And the editor inside my head is a lying asshole because my writing is fine and I need to remember this. And I was like, oh, I'd forgotten I made that. And I was like, I need to stitch this on a sampler. That's what <laughs> Put it above my wall. It's like the editor inside your head is a lying asshole. Don't listen to them. Um, but that came because other people looked at my work and it's not as if they were like, this is absolutely perfect and you've done exactly everything. No, they, you know, obviously, um, gave me some good critique of what I had written and whatnot. But they also were just like, this right here, this is beautiful and perfect. And this right here is so well done. I, and I had not been able to evaluate that at all. Um, and, and yeah, like I try more and more um, in my art, but also in my life to like go to people who I know I can count on to 
tell me the truth, who I can count on to to not just tell me what I want to hear, to say like, I'm this this is the thing that I'm struggling with right now. Whether it's something to do with like things going on in my personal life, things going on in my professional life, or things going on with my creativity. And I um I find that getting those outside views really helps put things in perspective. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's basically the main advice that I have is like surround yourself with people who can be that for you. And, you know, in a previous episode, we talked about my writers collective, the make our now war collective. And that's one of the things that we do for each other is to be uh, another view on things and and to allow ourselves to like have a gut check um because yeah sometimes we're we're not doing well or sometimes it's like yeah we messed up and but it it can be hard to hear that you messed up from strangers who are yelling at you on the internet because there's strangers yelling at you on the internet like that's never fun um and sometimes strangers yelling at you on the internet are wrong like that's a truth right there. So being able to go to somebody and say, this stranger is yelling at me on the internet about this thing that I did or a thing that I said. Ah, and then you're like, well, they are right in that you made that mistake. Uh, and here's how we can work together to fix it. But they probably shouldn't be talking to you in such a manner. Yeah, it, it's really important to, I think, have people who can help one calm you down and to step back to take that objective or like probably not truly objective view. Right. But like as objective as you can get the, the like, yeah, okay. So, so that was an F up, but also there's this other thing going on and I have a plan for not making that same mistake again. Yeah. Um, is great. Or in the case of, uh, like you were talking about getting that critique 10 years ago. Um, I had a similar experience writing this guide, which by the time this episode is out, hopefully my guide for um, iOS and Mac developers on launching apps will actually be done and like for sale in the world. But right now as we're recording, it was like, I showed it to a person <laughs> and got feedback on it, you know? And, um, and that was super scary. And I showed it to Justin because he's he's safe and knows a lot about the industry. And he did that same thing where it was like, okay, well, you could probably explain this a little bit better, but also you phrased this thing really well. Or if you're, um, you know, if you're painting. So I've been listening to a lot of um, Make Do, which is uh, another podcast on the Relay FM network uh, by Tiff Armand and Julia Scott. And they're more in the kind of crafty, artsy, Julia's also a writer, but um, kind of worlds and talking about like taking pictures of their stuff and putting it up on Instagram or p making Instagram stories about the process that they're going through or whatever, and then getting feedback about, oh, hey, that was really cool. You know, the detail in this you know, whatever is amazing and kind of getting that validation from people who can see things, you know, because when you're looking at something, you're focused on all of the mistakes, whether that's something that you've painted or write it, write it, <laughs> <laughs> or it speaked it or composed. Um, 
you know, that that's that's what you focus on. I mean, that's just what people, what we tend to do. Most of us tend to do. Um, whereas if you show it to somebody else, they're not going to notice the little nitpicky stuff typically. And so that can be really um, validating and kind of help you shift your perspective too. Yeah, definitely. And I think the other thing is just kind of going back to maybe um, being open to things just kind of yourself being like okay today today didn't go the way I planned this writing session because again drawing on my recent experience where I was writing like literally two sentences a day because I just I would sit there for three hours and I would get two sentences out and um instead of being like oh well I really I I needed to get these 10 pages done I got two sentences done, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, but thinking about, okay, so why, why was it only two sentences instead of focusing on, um, instead of focusing on what happened from a, like, I don't know, an internalization feel bad way, more of a, okay, like an examination, doing an examination. Um, and, one thing I I picked up in therapy, my, my years and years of therapy was um, when things feel really catastrophic, coming back to what is the worst that can happen, right? So I missed, I didn't get through the 10 pages I wanted to get. I rewrote two sentences. What's the worst that's going to happen? And it's, mm-hmm. you know, there are consequences, because there are deadlines that I really do need to meet if I want this to be successful, but it's not catastrophic. It's not the end of the world. And, um, that helps a lot. So that's, that's a question that I, I feel like a lot of people can probably employ like, and like literally from my therapist's mouth, I would go and I would be like stressed out, like frazzled about something. And she's like, okay, if you don't get this done, what's the worst that's going to happen? And it's like, I'm going to have to do it tomorrow. And she was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) like fine. You do it tomorrow. Um, so try that. And if the answer isn't like, you know, something bad, then I, I feel like for me anyway, that gave me permission to go, okay, so let's think about this more. And then when I was able to think about it more, it was like, okay, so why did I only write two sentences? Well, it was because I'm having to reframe this whole entire section. I've got to make sure everything fits together. I'm doing a lot of planning for things that come after this. So I wasn't actually just writing two sentences. There was a lot going on in my head that I just couldn't get down on paper. But Um, that's another thing anyway, that I would encourage people to do is just like find some ways that you can kind of pull yourself away and back to look at the situation. And that might be like going to the front or it might be just like literally, okay, self, what's going to happen? This didn't, this thing didn't get accomplished. What's going to happen? Right. Because the thing, if you, if it doesn't happen, then the world is not going to fall apart, even though sometimes it actually feels like it's going to fall apart. And those are the hardest times. Those are the yeah. times when I go to friends, I think. Yeah, because, yes, that, that's when you're like, yes, I need somebody literally outside of me to be like, no, that's not what's going to happen. It's going to be okay. And you're like, okay, yeah. But that's tough. All of that is really tough. It's like, really tough. 
it's so hard to deal with. Yep. And then I think the third thing is really for me, kind of the mental shift of um, viewing quote unquote failures, the things that most of us think of as failures or that even I would have classified as a failure a couple of years ago is like, okay, maybe this wasn't ideal. Maybe it was a mistake. Maybe it was actually a failure, but if you're not, if you're not making mistakes, if you're not failing, then you are also not presenting yourself with opportunities to grow. Yeah. That is a big thing because so much of learning and acquiring new skills is about like failing to do things well and then working hard to do it better. Um, yeah. And, and not allowing yourself the leeway to do that. That is, that's pretty self-harmful actually. Um, and it's one of the things that again, as a teacher of the kind of classes that I teach, I try to make a space for students to fail and to admit that they failed, um, which can be very difficult for them because especially in, in this kind of work, what, what failure means is admitting that you have some prejudiced thoughts uh, or you did in the past or you bought into societal ideas about marginalized people that are harmful ideas. And nobody wants to admit that kind of thing. It's not something that's comfortable at all to ever think about yourself, especially if you have put yourself on a path to doing better. Um, and so that is just one of the, the difficult things that we watch our students go through as they take these classes. But we always just say, like, this is a space for you to do that. This is a space for you to admit that. This is a space for you to, like, ask that question that if you ask it on Twitter, oh, no, don't ask that. <laughs> don't ask that question on Twitter. Don't do it. No, 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 it's bad. Um, because of the way that people will react to you. But it also means um, that there have to be people who are willing to open up that space for failure for you. And sometimes people really aren't. And I, I think about this a lot, especially when it comes to business environments, like being creative in a business environment. You know, we've had on this show people who create apps and, and things like that. And, but sometimes they're creating those apps in the environment of a company that they work for and failing inside of a company structure. It, even if it's like more of a creative failing, definitely has a different weight. And if there is not space within your company culture to fail and admit that you failed and learn from that, boy, that is like really hard. Again, ask me how I know. I have been in more than one workplace in which like admitting that you failed it was not, it never seemed like it was presented as an option because it's like, oh no, how could you have ever gotten anything wrong ever in the history of anything? It's like, I'm a human being who was given no training on this job, by the way. Mm-hmm. No guidelines. Been there. Yeah. yeah. We don't talk about that, but yeah. So it's, I'm, I know it's like easy for us to sit here and be like, failure is okay. <laughs> When actually in some places it feels like it really isn't and it has nothing to do with anything but that particular 
type of environment that you're in for whatever reason. Um, sometimes it's out of your control, whether or not you're allowed to fail uh, and allowed to learn from your failure or the learning from your failure involves you getting a pink slip and being shown the door. I would say if that's, if that's the culture you're dealing with, if you're in a relationship where you can't make mistakes, um, it's, it's time to start putting things in motion so that you're not in those situations anymore because it's not healthy. Um, I'm not saying like up and quit your job or up and, you know, get out of a relationship or whatever, but um, people make mistakes. And if you don't have space to do that, then you're just going to be scared all the time. Yeah. And that's so good. So, well, do we have more to say on the topic of failure? Uh, don't do it. No, actually, I'm <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I will say that in terms of having like the inability to fail imposed on you from somewhere else, um, we don't always have a huge choice in whether or not we're able to like find a better work environment or find a better home environment or whatever. But it is always worth thinking about whether or not there is a place where you can go move to switch to rise above uh, that, that doesn't have that. But then it also means that like people who are in a position to give jobs need to be also thinking about this and also thinking about like, what is, what is my company's or what is my, if I'm like a CEO or whatever, uh, attitude toward failure and whether or not you need to be thinking about how to change that attitude toward failure. Um, but that's a, that's another hard thing. It's a lot of problems that we can't solve in this podcast, Aline. I know it's a bummer. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm going to change the world. I know. I I need to be queen of everything. Empress. Empress of everything. So I can be like, failure is okay. Except if you're making my coffee. If you fail (laughs) at making my coffee. Nope, that's the end. That's the end of you. (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, take those opportunities where you can. Um, Yeah. I think, I think, yeah, just give give yourself permission to grow. I think that's ultimately what it boils down to for me is giving myself the opportunity to do better, to be better. And ultimately for me, that's, that's the goal. Like, I mean, I want to pay my bills and stuff. Don't get me wrong mm-hmm. <laughs> and travel and like all of that stuff. But, um, I can't, I can't imagine not always trying to do better yeah for myself and for other people like I just don't see what else there is in the world if there isn't growth and change I agree well I think that's our show for this time um you can find our show notes. Um, so we've mentioned some things you can find our show notes at relay.fm slash originality or in your podcast player of choice. Um, if you would be so kind as to take a few minutes to tell somebody about our show, if you enjoy it, um, whether that's on Twitter or an email or a phone call, what? Phone call? I know. What is that? Who's um, calling people on the phone anymore? <laughs> uh, personal recommendations seem to be the way that people find 
find podcasts. So for um, for us to be able to grow and thrive as a podcast, um, we need you to help us out and let people know about our show. Um, mm-hmm. You can find the show on Twitter at Originality FM. You can find Tempest at Tiny Tempest sometimes. And I'm still on Twitter constantly. You can find me <laughs> at Aline. That's A-L-E-E-N. And until next time, go make mistakes. Right.